You are listening to and watching for the first time ever the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yes, if you're listening to the podcast, I do have a video version of this episode available on YouTube. Just search my name, Andrew Mackay-Smith, or Scars and Guitars. It should come up. Now, the interview subject I've got prepared for you. It's a good one, another great one. Gosh, I love talking to guys like Kimo Kusnimi because he is an independent filmmaker. He's been doing it for a long time. And the reason for the chat is he's got two films in market at the moment. They're both road movies or rockumentaries focusing on Kopiklani's tour of Japan and Russia. So they're separate films. One's called Live in Japan and the other one's called Made in Russia. I truly enjoyed them, so I reached back out to his publicist and said, how about it? Let's have a chat. And here it is. But we also talk about a lot of other stuff because he's a smart guy and I love going there with a smart guy like Kimo. Matter of fact, the conversation could have gone on a lot longer, but I had to get to bed because it was past midnight or approaching midnight and I was just buggered, I think, and I didn't want to nod my way through a conversation with someone as smart as Kimo. So here he is, Kimo Kuznimi, the independent filmmaker from Split Screen Films. The first thing I want to do is congratulate you on even doing these two, okay? Because I know it's not easy. I do a bit of filmmaking myself. But you've done it in foreign countries, Russia and Japan. And I can't imagine the logistics involved. And the first thing that comes to mind is all of this footage that you took has to be stored somewhere. So did you use one of these or was it going up to the cloud via the internet? Uh, I had a couple of hard drives. So basically I was storing everything into two different hard drives just in case something goes wrong so so yes hard drives and and the camera that i was using was iphones was there any moments though because both of those countries aren't exactly the most sunny climate of the most sunny climates where you had a bit of a scare and something might have happened to both of those storage devices because i can't imagine uh, losing all of that footage that you took, uh, uh, <laughs> tens of maybe even hundreds of hours of footage that you've taken to condense down into 31 minutes and 39 minutes respectively? Well, there was because uh, we were constantly on the road. So so we were working on trains and planes and automobiles. And uh, there was one train trip that, that because of course, like as a filmmaker, you, 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 first thing you check is everything related to your equipment that it's with you. You might get something else, but for some reason I left the hard drive in the train. And uh, luckily the kind of light guy from Korpiklani, he picked them up and uh, and he asked me that, are you missing something? And I was, no, are you sure that you're not missing anything? <laughs> so the And after that, the joke was that I owed him vodka all the time so that was the kind of like that i, I owed him big time <laughs> and i did in a way yeah <laughs> oh well at least you got them back but look to that point though you you took tens maybe even as i say hundreds of hours of footage for two documentaries or rockumentaries as hollywood might call it and are they are they released yet are they there for the for anybody to watch at the moment yeah they are on the vod on the Vimeo, so basically you can watch them cost like four euros to watch yeah. because that was the kind of because this took quite a long time because that was yeah. 2016 they made in Russia 
And back then, the DVD was still like an option. But DVD is not the option anymore. Nobody is interested in DVD. So, so unfortunately, the big problem with this type of films is that where do you release it? How do you gonna get any money out of it? Because if you are lucky, you get enough on the crowdfunding. But in this case, the crowdfunding went seriously weird, considering that Corbicon is a fairly big band, and they have at that point they had six hundred thousand Facebook followers, and we did quite extensive, like you know, commercials and no kind of funny sure. videos to to kind of raise the interest and get the money and and yet we got like i don't know maybe tenth of the money that i hoped really get and and that was kind of the first problem <laughs> after we got back that what to do but yeah so People... so in a way like you know nowadays you don't like because i've done a lot of tv tv series and stuff like that for that i have an international TV distribution company that basically distributes everything. They would distribute these, but of course, the TV stations are not interested in in anything else than Metallica or Iron Maiden. If you don't have them in the documentary, there's no chance really to sell them. So, so it is quite quite complicated, and and of course, without the Russia, I wouldn't got into this because. The Russia was so exciting that I couldn't resist the kind of like, you know, the the temptation to go without money. <laughs> because that's one of the rules of the filmmaker that you should never take in part in films that don't have money because mm-hmm. that's fine when you start your career, then you do all kind of stuff. And of course, later you do things that you feel that is good for you, you might kind of go, but, but as a professional, you shouldn't really really kind of do things that don't have a budget. But in this, the Rasa and the Siberian was so interesting that <laughs> that it kind of went, the rules went out of the window. I feel for you, mate. I truly do. Because I can, as I say, I know how much effort you've put into this because I know how much effort it takes. Mm-hmm. I've just spent 10 to 12 hours today just putting together something which goes for 20 minutes or 25 minutes or so. But it takes that long when you start using... Did you use Premiere Pro? Did you use Premiere Pro or what program did you use? No, I use Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro, yeah. But the, yeah. the point is, yeah. the point is, you've gone to so much effort here and I understand exactly where you're coming from. You've got a tenth of the, uh, the viewership that you might have hoped for. And yet Metal Hammer, and I think it was Metal Hammer or Metal Injection, one of those two Facebook pages the other day, I've actually put it on my Instagram page. Their post was, and it was a Metallica post, all their album openers ranked from worst to best. Like, is that where we're at? That people are so, mm. I'll say it's stupid, excuse me, mm. but that they are that interested in that kind of content. I don't blame Metal Hammer, by the way. But mm. the average person thinks that that's engaging content. And sure enough, there was, you know, 600, oh, I don't want to make up what the number is, but there was a rather, there was rather a lot of interactions and engagement via likes and maybe dislikes and comments and the like. And I actually put it on my Instagram pages and said, is this engaging content? Is this what people want to see? Because I don't put that sort of stuff up. I put up people like yourself, where people mm, like yeah. you that are actually contributing to culture and, and to society. And it, I, we can't change it, but we've just sort of got to work within the, the parameters that are there. But um, for, for you, you mentioned that there's been a lot of 
promotion through Corpa Klani's Facebook page and the like, when you were putting up the ads for the video, did you get a lot of interactions that way? Well, the kind of thing is that, that because it's been tracking for a long time and, mm. uh, and it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy Corpiglani's manager because he hasn't been really in this. So that has been slightly affecting everything. Okay. And for example, now that they are released, I don't think they have actually yet advertised it. And uh, because they had their well, last okay. Saturday, they had their live streaming because they had their vodka released. Okay. And, and so that somehow this wasn't kind of okay to be advertising at the same time. So I don't know what they are doing. So it's a bit one of these weird things that we are quite slightly kind of, it has become my thing, although it's about Korpikwani. So they are not that much. The violin player has been all along. Tuomas has been with me in this. And, and, and that was one of the great things in that I got to know him. We have very similar interests and, and we are, we have been making some music together already and we have a, another film project that we are going to work together on. So, so that's been one of these great things that has happened, like, you know, in everything that's good and bad. <laughs> You're right about Thomas Runakari. I've spoken to him once as well for my podcast series. Oh, great yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. Just before they came down to guy. Australia. Yeah, I think it was yeah. it was either yeah. due to they actually toured here. They actually came here. I think two years ago might have been or Kulkiga, when Kulkiga came out, I might have had a conversation for him. One of the two there, but he really impressed me when I had that conversation because I hadn't heard of the band before, to be honest with you. Yeah, but um, great band overall. But mate, I've got to say, it, it surprises the hell out of me that the band and the management aren't behind you on this one here in terms of sharing it on their socials. Cause I can tell from my experience, not to make too fine a point about it, but if I don't expect the artist, cause I interview, you know, people like Thomas and all of the great European and North American hard rock and heavy metal superstars and the like. And if they don't share it on their Facebook page, mate, it doesn't really go anywhere. As soon as they do though, mm. sometimes tens of thousands of listeners to a podcast episode, it's incredible what can happen. So yeah, I mean, can you do anything to change that in the short term? Because that's a, that's a shame. Well, it, it doesn't need to be seen. It, uh, it is kind of, they do what they do. That's what I'd be saying. That, that Because for me, the films are done. And there's new things to be done. And and, and it, it has been financially very kind of like a hard thing. But they are done. So they're kind of paid. So whatever suffering there was in the past, it's in the past. And and and. and Yes, I'm quite sure that they will do something. But like I said, I don't know how much in Corbeklani's case it will actually affect the the kind of like, you know, the viewings and everything because uh, like the crowdfunding went so terribly weird. And I think that it's something to do because there's a friend of mine who run the kind of like, you know, the biggest merchandise company in, in, in Helsinki, the Helsinki shop. Mm. And he had to close a few years back and, and, and he would be kind of like, why? That you're kind of the biggest one. And he said that the problem is that, that, that there aren't fans anymore, that there are people who use your music. They listen to it and in whatever occasion, but they are not real fans anymore. They are not. And I was a kid, we, there was one band and you followed it. And even if they made a bad album, you were listening to it and you tried to kind of 
make excuses that it wasn't a bad album because they, you were their fan so to true. the end. And and this is kind of that now we like like the merchandise sells when you are kicking, but nobody buys it like when they are home from online. So that's kind of like quite dramatic change. And then of course like Corpiclan is a great band on stage. And that's where their success is that that it is the 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 tours are really good they they get the audience in and it's it's kind of like a party so it's kind of like a party band that that you're gonna listen to vodka yeah. and have the vodka so so I don't know if they have type of like of course they have but how big the actual fan base is like the people who are diehard so so that's it kind of like because they the result of the crowdfunding was so surprising that you have bands that are much smaller and the guys have been managed to get much more money. So this was one of these, because I haven't done crowdfunding before this. So that was quite interesting that, that you shouldn't believe the numbers because it's so easy to go with the kind of like big numbers and think that, oh, you get like, you know, even 2% of this, it will be, but it doesn't work that way because you don't know how true the numbers are. And, and what I know is that the, the follow of Gorpiklan is totally organic. They haven't been kind of buying people. Or yeah. it's, it's just people who have been in the kicks and then they come home and they like them and see what they are doing. So, so it's kind of like, I think that was very interesting from the kind of new, because I, the, the crowd was very good because the people who, did support the film. They were really, really supporting. And I think that they, in a way, when I felt like, you know, that this is kind of like too much, they were the ones who kept me going because they actually were full on behind it. And, and usually like, if you make like all music, it's quite lonely because until you get it out, you are just alone doing it. And you might show it to somebody in the family or whatever, but you don't have any kind of, you know, that type of like, you know, slap in the back that is great stuff, but the funders actually do that. And you kind of become in a bizarre way, they become kind of like your friends, some of them. And the weirdest thing was that, that when the Japan was done, because there was only like, you know, the there wasn't any money to actually finish it. There was just money to go and film. And then when I tried to figure out what to do with that, uh, there was part of the Russian crowdfunders that started to send me money through PayPal okay. to be able to work on it. Because of course, like, you know, with the film thing that, that the problem is that of course I have commercial work and all this and other things, but, but if you are working like this type of stuff, you cannot work on several things at the same time. Mm -hmm. It will never get done. You have to kind yes. of be focusing on one thing and just finish it. And of course, I had to take a break and, and like with the Rasa, because I edited the first version, which was kind of like a loose version, which was like, you know, two hours and one or three hours long. And then uh, Sophia, who is a young editor, very good editor, she kind of like was interested in having a call edit. And, and, and she spent again, like, I don't know, months editing it. And, and she ended editing it into two hours and 47 minutes because it kind of worked even that, but 
it's a bit kind of like, you know, how do you put it out if it's that long? So then as the final thing, when the COVID came, I suddenly had more time. So I mm-hmm. thought that, well, I shortened it now, like, you know, just the kind of best things. And, and so then when it became 30, but of course there's a lot of stuff. I might sometimes think about it that if I put the actual extended version out, but, but so, so she kind of, Sophia came to kind of rescue the whole thing mm-hmm. in a way that I had to stop because I, I had run out of money. So I had to kind of go work in the commercial side to kind of get my balance back to kind of get again into it. So, but it, it's, it's like you, filmmaking is like that. It's like, it's kind of, it's a weird thing. You, you, you can, there's always things called always wrong. That's the kind of main thing. And then in this, it went kind of wrong in a way that I couldn't expect because you been doing films for a long time that I think that I know all the holes and, and things that you can kind of fall into. But this was kind of like a new type of weirdness. So, which I like because that's kind of, it, it never gets dull. It's always kind of like, you know, keeping you on your toes and making your thing, what to do, how to solve this. And, and I think that that's kind of gives me pleasure that they are finished, they are done. I didn't quit. I, I'm, I'm, whereas my kind of like business partners were all saying that I'm an idiot, that I should stop like three years ago. <laughs> but it's kind of like, I don't know. It, either it is being an idiot or just kind of like, try to finish what you started. <laughs> I f- I, again, sorry, I said it once before, but I feel for you, mate. I can see what, you, what you've done here, and I think you've achieved a hell of a lot. I just, people, to your point, they are so used to getting things for free at the moment. We have almost every video, every film ever made available for free on some streaming platform somewhere. If you've got a, an IP address, you know, you've got a, uh, an IP router or what have you, and you can hack into another country's um you know there's different territories that films are released you know you know what i'm trying to say there i just think we've arrived at a point in time for example where me and my podcast where i've got uh, i think there's almost 500 episodes posted of as i say i've done almost 600 interviews and the vast majority of which have been curated for the podcast thousands of hours as you well know it takes to do this sort of stuff and i'm not saying i deserve Mm. any special praise or recognition believe me i got plenty of very positive feedback some from your part of the world there in finland i can see a lot of Mm. people listening from up there and i love doing it because i love talking to people such as yourself from the other artists Mm. but it would just be nice for a change to be able to because i've thought long and hard about this to be able to say to my audience Look, I'm basically been doing. I've been doing this for nothing for three years now, three and a half years, as a matter of fact. I'll do a Patreon thing or a Kickstarter or whatever the you know insert crowdfunding mm. campaign here, and wait and see. But I've got to be honest with you, for the reasons that you just outlined, I'm nervous about doing that because I have a feeling I won't get anybody that contributes anything, and I, I just didn't want to be basically um, humiliated in that way. And mm. I, I'm putting together uh, movies, as I say now, for, uh, for people and doing things that I'm not asking for any money for it because I'm just starting out as well. Uh, I've just yeah. graduated from university where I've learned how to do a lot of this sort of stuff. But the bottom line is, and I'll summarise my point here is, here, is that as creators, we are up against it, mate. We are truly up against it. And I think for people listening and 
on YouTube for people watching. Granted, you're getting this content for nothing and neither of us are saying you need to pay us for watching this specific content here. But I make a point, I probably, and it really is what it is, I donate maybe up to $50 a month to various creators, most of which are on renew, you know, on regular monthly payments, most of which I don't even keep up with. I just do it because I want them to know that somebody cares and that somebody out there may yeah. well be listening to them and the like. So, mate, it's, it's a very interesting uh, dilemma that we are in, but I know here in Australia, the federal government have gone to great lengths and I've got to applaud them big time for this. They're going after bloody, you know, there's bastards at Facebook and Google, YouTube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're going after them saying you are appropriating creators content and you're making more yeah. money than anybody in the history of mankind's ever made it time to give some back pay up. Mm. And they've got their campaigns at the moment when you click on Google here in Australia, it talks about why this is a bad idea and why your, your freedom of expression is at risk and all this bullshit. And it's not about mm -hmm. that at all. It's about making sure that if someone clicks on your great, two great videos here, outstanding documentaries that you've got here, you might only get something in the vicinity of $1,500 a year out of it or whatever the Finnish mm -hmm. monetary equivalent is. But at least you get something. Yeah. At least it might be a couple of bottles of vodka or a nice dinner out somewhere yeah, yeah. between you and your family and your wife. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But it, I think it's a bit kind of like, because I always, well, most people don't understand what I do, but if they kind of like listen to what I'm doing and, and some of the craziness of it, because I think that first of it's like like I started as a musician and then it was natural to make films because film business is more like a real work that you actually can get money out. So, mm. and it has been, I've been about, about 40 years making films. So, so I have been able to stick to it and I, I cannot complain. So I've been lucky or whatever, but I, it, it's kind of like, it doesn't matter how successful you are. Like, like I have a friend who I work with and he does the big kind of like big things in London. And we, we did them for a while together, but I kind of drifted away because I didn't like it because it was like working in a factory. The money was good, but it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't anything me in them. It was just kind of like being a technician. So I didn't like it. And he, he kind of, likes it and and it's been good for him so he has to but it's still in the end of the day it's 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 not the money why you do this it's it, this is actually something that is a kind of like a calling and the money just because you need money you cannot live in the modern world without money so so in that way it's kind of because like i started with a 35 mil film and 60 mil film and it was bloody complicated because to make anything, it cost arm and leg because film was really expensive. The laboratories were very expensive. So in a way, becoming a filmmaker back then was a lot more complicated than now because now you can just, you have an iPhone, you have a MacBook and you are a filmmaker and you can do stunning things. There's nothing stopping you making like a pizza film. So in a way, I think that there's there's been different complicated things in the past, and 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 it wasn't 
it was there was a much higher threshold to become a filmmaker because you actually had to understand quite a lot of because with film camera you have to know what you are doing you have to know the lighting you have to do, know everything because you cannot preview it it's just kind of like you know you film something and a couple of days later you see the rushes and you see if it was okay so so in a way like i'm trying to say that that i think that it's always been a struggle and i, I, I was doing the film then came the video then suddenly you had all these kind of millions of people who could kind of play the rec button press, press the rec button and aim it that way and they became filmmakers so so it has there's been all the time challenges in a way that that like now we talk about the covid that it screwed up everything and it actually mm. changed quite a lot of things that i was kind of preparing to do but it's nothing new in a way because i've been going through all these different technical revolutions and yes. and then you adapt and and in a way i think that that yes it is more complicated in where to get the money now but but it's still about the adaptation that you have to just start to figure out what can you do because there's now much options what you can do so so in a way it's it's kind of bleak but i don't think that it's bleaker than it's been before there's been different type of problems so in a way like you know now this vod that you can with a vimeo you can just have your own tv channel so so of course that's not easy to start it but at least you can have it and then you can start to kind of if you can create interesting content you can start to get money in and you don't have hell of a lot of money coming in to just make the living so so in a way i don't it i i think that that yes it would be nice if people would be appreciating people who make things and and in a way they do because if we would take away the music and films and everything <laughs> well it would be quite bleak mm. and and unfortunately somehow people have managed to kind of got the idea that they don't need to pay and they maybe think that they are paying for if they pay apple or spotify or something a tenner a month to have everything but of course it turns out to be kind of like a you have to have a million hits and and then you get like 100 dollars and and so it doesn't compute so there is a problem with the you know how to even it. and of point, course yeah. the problem is that the people who are successful they make all the money because that's where it ends so it is the kind of little people that suffer so so yeah but it, what i'm just trying to say maybe is that that it is kind of bleak but if you try to use your brain there is ways of doing things and getting over it and and mm not everybody makes it but that was how it was in the past in 80s when it was film it was even less people who could actually become a filmmaker so i don't know hmm. i think you're making i think you've made some extraordinarily good points there i haven't gone this deep into the creator's dilemma with anybody before so thank you for doing that hmm. and let's talk about both of the videos though both of the documentaries though so You've got live in Japan, which is 31 minutes and 22 mm. seconds of just great stuff. You and Corpaclani over there. And then there's the one in Russia, which uh, I can't separate them, to be honest with you. I like them both equally. 
the Russian uh, documentary lasts for almost 40, se- 40 minutes or 39 minutes and 22 seconds. So there's, for people out there listening, if you're wondering if you're going to get value for money, you will get value for money with these two because they are very beautifully put together. And that's, that's the key thing. You've really thought about the cinematography aspect. I like the swivel motion that you've got on there. Uh, at first, I thought it was oh, a bit vertigo, yeah. vertigo-inducing, but then I got used to it, and I liked the way that you do it. I came to sort of look forward to those times when, it, when you started to introduce it. But just around the point that we more or less started talking about, you do tour with the band Corpaclani, and I have spoken to Thomas before from the band, the violin player, as I mentioned, and uh, mm. I like that you have a great rapport with him and indeed with the rest of the band too, um, certainly on the road. And I love the way that you showcase the rawness of life on the road because i think a lot of fans they probably think that there's a cliche of sex drugs and rock and roll it's not <laughs> it's pretty bloody no. far from that mm. you're basically living your life as a athlete in some ways trying to not get sick but it's impossible to not get sick when you're traveling because it's just the nature of touring isn't it but yeah apart from being incredibly rewarding for you as you've just outlined but also when you're touring and traveling with the band, probably being very tiring and draining as well. You're a filmmaker, so you can make a film on just about any subject you choose. Why choose these two? Why choose the subject matter across both countries? Well, it all started with the Made in Russia. And then, uh, because I did 2008, I did The Promised Land of Heavy Metal, which was uh, the, the documentary about Finnish metal scene. I don't know if you've seen it. And, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to write it down now. What's what's it? What's it called? Sorry, yeah. the okay. Promised Land of Heavy Metal. Is it in? Uh, has it got English subtitles? Yeah, uh, it's it's in, in English. So. Oh, it's in English. No, no, okay, it's in English. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. There was a. There's been several different DVD releases and stuff. It, it was actually fairly big at the time. There was an iPhone app that had the whole documentary, and oh, that was the I'm, first. I should know it. My apologies then. Yeah, no, it sounds great. But yeah, so so when I was doing that, because that was quite weird, because uh, like any TV channel in the world, metal is not something that you want to do anything about, unless it's Iron Maiden or something. And uh, But uh, Sakari Heiskanen, who was the head of Finnish entertainment, and he actually kind of now works with me, uh, after that, we've kind of been friends, working partners. and But then he had the idea that we need to make this metal film. And he thought that because I'm the kind of like the godfather of the Finnish metal, because I had the first Finnish metal band ever. So so I was the right person to kind of do it. Oh, and so. because I've been living here in England for 24 years. So I've been out of Finland. I haven't been really following anything. And that was just after Lordi won the Eurovision Song Contest. So yeah. that's when the metal was in Finland, it was everywhere. And it was really cool because there's even the Finnish church had metal masses, which was for me was, well, it wasn't right. It's kind of wrong. It, metal and church shouldn't really mix. But but it was kind of, and and with that, I had good access to all the bands. And that's how I got to know Korpiklani. Because they were in Tuska Festival, it's a big festival, I think, yeah, and uh, and they were they were supposed to play there, but their instruments were somewhere in Germany, so they were just getting drunk, and <laughs> I had this really nice drunken interview with them, and 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 how 
we kind of started keeping in contact with Jonne. And, and I kind of like, because I, after the Promised Land of Heavy Metal, I had the idea that it would be nice to make kind of like a sequel to it. And, and so I've been kind of collecting interviews and stuff. And, and so, so I've, I've been meeting Jonne in different occasions, few times. And, and then in, and, uh, that was 2016 summer, we were again like doing kind of like what's been happening kind of catch up interview and then he Jonna said that what about if you make a documentary about Korpikvani and and that yeah it's possible and 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 then I got home and then I started to kind of look what they are doing and I saw the Rasan tour and I saw that it was really extensive tour that it was through the whole Rasan area to Vladivostok which is in the kind of like you know next stop is Japan so mm-hmm. so I thought that this is like something you know, special. So that's how I got into it. And then there was the kind of next thing that how the money can the record label put money into it? No, they couldn't. And then it was the crowdfunding and and, and the band didn't want to do a crowdfunding. So I decided to do it myself. So and take the, <laughs> the risk of it. And, uh, and it was just because I saw that the whole thing going to Russia is so exciting mm. and and of course it was also quite challenging because I knew that I cannot go with normal cameras because there's no time and I have to carry everything my for sure and yeah. it, and, uh, and I had to also film while carrying everything so so then at that point the iPhones already had become like you know like the wow this is really cool quality that you get out of them that they are better than so called the hundred thousand pound professional cameras. Yes. So mm-hmm. see, that's the kind of like you know, and and I'm I love technology, so 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 for me it's not the problem to kind of ditch this size of big camera and and take the iPhone, and then like getting gimbal that 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 is rock solid, and and you can put it on a stick, and then you can have suddenly a flying camera that that doesn't bother anybody, but you can have it in the singer's face like this and it's just kind of like a selfie stick so all these things kind of like it was in a way going there with this equipment was quite a risk because i haven't been relying on this ever so it was kind of like you know it could have gone wrong but it, it actually i think that that what makes the film great is that there's a lot of stuff that you couldn't get with the normal camera Get that you the, the sorts that are impossible to do with any other way. So so, and there was like what was one of the things that really was great was that that I did some Facebook uh, live streaming, mm-hmm. and I used the gimbal. It wasn't that type of like you see a lot of these kind of to put a camera somewhere and then it's got people walking around and and that's. But I was actually doing like kind of complicated like. The camera flying in, in amongst the band and into the audience, type of things, and and it was fantastic feeling when you saw the kind of like the whole screen was almost full of likes and love and you know the Facebook symbols, yeah, and and that was something that I haven't experienced before for the long time of filmmaking. That 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 was like I was actually 
connected to the audience and they were reacting to what I do. So I could see that, oh, they like what I do. Kind of like, and, and that was yeah. one thing that took, in Japan, I was trying to kind of expand that. So that's kind of like, yeah. I kind of talk a lot, so I kind of got into a tang tangent in the. <laughs> no, that's story. fine. I don't mind at all. Yeah. I think it's, I think what you've done here is is marvelous, as, as I've said a few times already. Again, but uh, talk as much mm -hmm. as you want about anything you like. Believe me, that's I've got that forum for you, so no worries. But I, I will ask you this question though: Is that what did you feel were the most interesting aspects of each of the films? Well, I think. Russia was the, the most, because, well, you know, like, you know, Finland has the longest border with, with Russia in Europe. So, so we have had a bit kind of like complicated relationship with them and uh, with the wars and everything. So sure. I haven't, I have, I have been before, like, you know, in, in Soviet Union, but, but I haven't been in Russia. And I always said that I never go to Russia except if I have to work there. And it's a kind of like silly thing. I don't, it doesn't mean anything, but you know that type of kind of like. I do, yeah. Time ago when you are younger. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, in a weird way, I kind of had the completely wrong idea of Russia. Like, I think a lot of us have completely, like, I think the media is part of it. They don't Great. really kind yep. of. We don't see positive news. We see all kind of bad yep. news that how everything is falling apart. But, but when you are in Siberia, people were so fantastically lovely. And, and instead of like, if you are kind of like filming in New York, you are going to speak about yourself. And you are aware of your surroundings that something could go wrong. But, but in Siberia, where you might be the only Westerner inside, there's no threat. There's no, it was just really, really nice, mm. you know, peaceful, calm. And, uh, and where we kind of expecting that Russia is falling apart because of this and that and whatever, couldn't see it. It's like one thing that we were worried about was like flying with the, with the kind of like, you know, the Russian yeah. planes the domestic in the flights, country. Because yeah. They, yeah. yeah, they keep on, dropping all the time from the skies and but Thomas told me that that I think it was 2010 that Putin said that that enough of this I think they lost the kind of like you know the the Russian choir or something you know one action yeah and uh and Putin said that this has to stop now that that they have to get new planes so all the internal planes were brand new they were actually better than when I was flying with the British Airways. <laughs> so that's, have we heard about that? No. <laughs> I haven't heard about when... it, but I agree. I agree with you that Russia cops a raw deal because of what's going on in the United mm. States and the way Russia and Russians in general mm. are being demonized by one side of politics mm. over there. And it's just garbage because my wife and I, my family, we've traveled a lot. We've met Russians in the Philippines and, and, mm. and my kids have played with Russian kids who couldn't speak English. Or, or had yeah. very limited grasp of English. No worries. Great kids. Mm. Just like Australian kids or Finnish kids, I imagine, you know. So there's this whole thing that the media has othered Russia. You know, that's them. They're yeah. these people who meddle and interfere in elections. Mm. 
which I think is bullshit, by the way, because I've done a lot of mm. research on it, uh, like independent research, mm. by the way. I'm not swayed either way. I just wanted to get some understanding. Mm. As, I'm a, as I say, I'm a journalist. I had to do some some essays uh, and, and investigations on it whilst I was at uni. And, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. There's this perception that Russia is something, but you've got to talk to someone like yourself who's been there and can tell you firsthand that mm. it's actually quite a nice place to be. And it, and it is, you of, of, of course, always have to kind of keep the people and the politics that, that mm-hmm. it's kind of like I think what I've always liked in my job is that that when you do commercial stuff and, and here in UK people working for some very big companies and they send you here and there and I've been in Johannesburg when people said that it's crazy you will mm. be killed there and uh, no I wasn't and it was absolutely safe I asked the guy that can I rent a car and drive around but yes just don't go into this neighborhood and that neighborhood. Then it's fine. And it was. And it's just kind of like, but I love filmmaking that you actually are working with real people in different countries. And that's the best way to kind of like understand people. And I think that everybody should kind of have that type of experience. Then we would have much less system and all these ugly things because you just realize that people are exactly the same doesn't matter what their religion is and and how they look like they have exactly the same they want their kids to be kind of like you know school and they want them to success and everything so so that's kind of like why the rasa was probably one of the best experiences of mm. of of filming trips to me ever and i've been in a lot of places so so yeah so the, it, yeah it is kind of like japan is something that i've always wanted to go to and i i work here for big di- um, uh, insurance company called direct line you probably mm-hmm. have it in australia also and i think so they were expanded to japan and uh and they hired me to make a film japanese market that would make them kind of like excited about it. And, and we made like kind of like a spoof Mission Impossible film. And and, uh, and I was hoping that I could get with that film to Japan to show it. But unfortunately, the Japanese process flew in. So I wasn't able to go there. So this was kind of again, like I I really was looking forward to get there. And uh, like in the film, Thomas is talking about the similarities and things, the kind of Japanese culture there's very strange connections to Finnish like you know the being silent we don't need to, well I'm not a good example of a film because I talk all the time but I can also be quiet without talking so it's not like here if you are five minutes in, in quiet in somebody has to start to say something but in Finland you can kind of sit long time without nobody getting kind of like feeling a little bit like what's happening we have to say something so mm. so yeah so so that was japan was like it was a very different experience and and japan is quite interesting in the kind of there's the spiritual side of it which is very strong and then yet they are the technology and the industrial side of it is very kind of like presence everywhere but it's this kind of weird things and 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 we went there that long but i plan to go again soon yeah, I don't blame you. And what did you leave out? Did you have to leave anything out that you thought was too risque that you can talk about? Uh, there was this kind of 
funny thing about the thing that Korpiklani is quite a lot about alcohol. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of their songs are about drinking, drinking. Beer. And, and, <laughs> and they were really worried about that I don't film too much of them being drunk. <laughs> and that was kind of like, a, there was a really funny video we were having, I was filming and we were having this discussion. <laughs> How is this kind of like, <laughs> but that was, yeah, so yeah, there was a bit kind of like, of course, you would have it anyway. You you, you kind of like, it's not about, you know, and and the Rasa was so hectic that you couldn't really go crazy there because you would be left behind. <laughs> so it wasn't like, but but yeah, so it was, there's always with the documentaries, there's always the cleaning part of it that you kind of make it. But, but I didn't leave anything out that I wouldn't, I would kind of like feel that should be there. So yeah, in so that way, no, yeah. No holdups or disagreements between band members like that, that no, silly think, video. No, the one thing with Korpikwan is that they actually are very, they're very different people, but they get along very well and they give each other kind of space. So they don't really have arguments. It's, it, it is really, they, I think they work very well together. And you have to run trip that if you would have a band that would have a lot of problems, you wouldn't survive it because it is hard. It's just it kind of like, and it was even harder for Thomas and me because we wanted to do this. Like there's the Nanai people that we want to see. And uh, that meant oh, yeah. that we didn't sleep for 48 hours. So, so because we kind of went when the other guys were sleeping and, uh, and, and, and that was one of the again, like you know, one of these great moments that, that we started to talk about that we, there's the Amur River, which uh, there's these ancient kind of petroglyphs and, and like stuff, and and mm-hmm. and Thomas kind of thought that, that how can we kind of organize it? We can get to see them, and and he put it on Facebook, and then there was Paul kind of replied and said that I can take you there, and and. and 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 there's that's kind of like that that could be longer in the film because it's a really brilliant kind of sequence because I'm filming it all where we are waiting in the in the hotel for the guy to kind of pick up pick us up and we haven't been really sleeping and 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 it's minus it was minus twenty seven outside and and we were thinking again like 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 old school thinking that a Russian car that that survive this that can we can we get back and all these things and and then the guy comes in then we are wondering how much this is going to cost because of course like you know nobody's doing anything for free and uh and so this guy comes he he speaks like you know maybe few words of english so it's a lot of kind of like sign language and everything and he says that no it doesn't cost anything this is on me i pay for everything and we were going to what and uh, and then he had a very nice car, no problem. And uh, then the Nanai people were absolutely lovely people. We had a whole day. Mm. And we were, yeah. They took us with skidoos to see these petroglyphs by the river. And, and we ate like frozen fish that they just kind of like, you know, fish and the fish is frozen and then they hack it with axe. And, and you just kind of like put salt in it and have vodka and, and it's brilliant. And, and it was absolutely lovely experience. And, and then you again think that like, you know, that there's, 
somehow you have to pay for something. And and then when we were leaving with Thomas and, and I was kind of like, it would be nice to have some kind of like, you know, memento about this, like, you know, some souvenir or something. And we asked and then, that, that, can we buy something? And then, no, we don't have anything to sell. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like, when you realize that our Western system is that nobody does anything for free. There's always some kind of, like, you know, if it's hidden, meaning that, that yeah. you do something a favor, but you have to pay it back and all this. And these people were just happy to see us. And that was quite interesting. Yeah, kind it's... Um... Put it in perspective that, that, that how twisted we are, that we... We cannot do anything without having some kind of way of getting something back. So that was lovely. I thought that was a, a beautiful part of the film and a lovely sensitivity with that. So I think you treated that beautifully. You got the right balance there. But just to address that point you made there about, about in the West, we think everybody's you know, there's always going to be some financial exchange and the like. Typically, that's the case, mm. though. I mean, look, you travel to Fiji near me here or Vanuatu or what have you, you're not going to get away with anything without them charging you an arm and a leg, let me let me assure you. And mm. I, that's what I loved about what you exposed there was we've talked about Russia getting a raw deal from the United States or media in the United States in particular, but it's just, you know, the common narrative across social media, if you pay too much attention to it though, but it just brought out that, that beautiful side to the Russian people and that there is this vast mm. culture there. It's not just a homogenous culture. There's all sorts of different people over there and you're able to bring out the generosity in the people too. And I think that's mm. going to be, it's, you know, for all the reasons that we've already discussed, that's going to be, uh, a pleasant surprise for people, but were, were there any moments in, in either film, because I know you didn't do anything death-defying or too daring, but were there any moments where you thought for a moment, oh, hang on a sec, things could go pretty south here? Yes, in Russia there was, yes, because in Russia dealing with the normal people is fine, but you don't want to get involved with the police or the military mm-hmm. because that actually is where you can actually disappear if you are inside the area. So you know, we had a moment that because, of course, like, you know, we are in a train that is normal Russian, whatever, Trans-Siberian train. So, so we are amongst the Russians there. And then, of course, the band feels that, that, oh, we have to have a little bit drink. And drinking is not allowed in the train. Mm. We had this kind of like, there was this, every kind of compartment had a lady who was kind of like, like the supervisor or whatever. And... Uh, there was this kind of like, you know, having drinks and, and I didn't film it because it was a bit too complicated to film it because it was already quite tricky situation. So so she got really angry and then she got somebody to translate and she was saying that, that okay, that, that this is not, you cannot do this and, 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 and she's calling the police and they will be picking us up from the next station. And thus, of course, it's quite bad news and and I was kind of thinking that, that surely there's like something that we can bribe the person or something. And then it turned out that he was also selling. And, uh, and I bought this, I actually have it here, like a, like a Russian tea cup, which is kind of like a metal frame that you put the glass mm. in and, and like old school type of thing. And I bought it for 15 quid. 
and that solved the problem. After that, she was fine with the guys drinking and everything. So that was, and there was another similar situation that 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 was solved with the same way. But but that was also kind of like uh, for me that was not cool because basically if you go somewhere you should respect people and you should respect their culture you should respect their rules so in a way of course it was out of order to kind of be drinking there we shouldn't have done that well I didn't drink I think I might have had one (laughs) but you know what I'm saying so in a way if that would have ended badly it would have been our own fault but it could have ended quite badly so but but that's kind of like that that's in the longer version there is kind of because we talk about it the next day so in the longer version there is it's sure. in the film but but it was because there wasn't anything from the evening because it was like i said that that of course i could have filmed it but i still think that you have to kind of keep some kind of limit to what you do mm. because not every and it, there was quite a lot in russia that if you we were place and I was filming there said no camera and there was that type of still like you know that the filming was but then there was a, like you might remember the there's the kind of like the old old kind of like um, statue type of thing where there's couples and okay. uh, yep. they're taking pictures of them and uh, and and I actually kind of sign language that is it okay that I film them and they were just happy so it's not like you know that they Russians don't film it. It's just like you know that for some reason the businesses are quite worried about the filming. But but like this wedding couple and all that they were all very happy about it that I was filming them. So and that's a great thing with again like if you would be with a normal big camera, everybody would be aware that you are actually filming. If you are going with an iPhone, then it's just like you know a tourist. So. It's a very, very good camouflage for professional <laughs> filmmaker that you can okay. get really great stuff without people being aware of the camera. And it's like with the audience that I think that that the, the with the Rasa the audience is so fantastic that and I think it comes hopefully through the film that, that how they are so happy. And there isn't it's not like fake. It's like they are they are just like really happy to be there and you can see it in their face that they are really and I think that was brilliant. That was one of the great moments in Russia. And in a bizarre way the Japanese audience was the same. They were very, very kind of like excited and I was expecting that they would be more kind of like, you know, kind of looking and clapping and mm. they will learn. <laughs> I remember that bit in the film, actually. Yeah, that was in Vladivostok from memory. Mm. With, with the young couple in, in Russia. Uh, was that in, I thought that was in Vladivostok. I think it was before that. I... Never mind. It's, uh, on, it's, on the, it's on the film yeah, anyway for yeah, people to yeah. see. So. Yes, it is. But I guess it, it begs a question then for the length that both are, so 31 minutes and 22 seconds and 39 minutes and 22 seconds, and you, you would have taken so much footage. How and what was the editing process like? Did that involve a lot of vodka and Jack Daniels? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's too hot. You cannot drink and edit because <laughs> it doesn't work. That hey, way. I've tried. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it, 
yeah, no, it, 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 with the Russia, it was, there was so much footage and because I, I filmed, there was 13, no, 15 gigs and I filmed all of them. So sifting all through that and finding the moments and because the difference with, between Russia and Japan was that Russia, I only had one camera. So, so whatever was done from that needed to be kind of, but what Sophia did was that, that she actually did this weird kind of collage of songs, uh, just little snippets of things, and which might annoy a lot of people, but I thought it was quite wacky. It was kind of like the way that she edited it was very hectic. So she actually got the feeling of the, how it was, that it was just kind of like, like rust through. And, uh, and in Japan, I had like multiple cameras. So, so they were more like, like a multi-camera, but there was only three gigs or so. So Japan didn't have that much footage. So editing wasn't really that complicated. It was more with the, with the gigs, it was kind of like, I had some sync problems with the cameras and, and stuff like that. And because when you have like, if you leave cameras here and there, you don't want to leave expensive GoPro. So you have like cheaper cameras and then you have all kind of weird problems with the syncing. The they cheaper work, cameras, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, they don't work as so, well, yeah. No, yeah, now I have really good kind of mid-price cameras that are kind of all 4K and work perfectly and no problems with syncing. But, but that was it with the Japan, it took quite a long time to get everything and in a way, because I, you can edit in a quick way that you just go and that, that, that. But I'm kind of like, do it the hard way that, that I sync all the concerts so that I sync all the cameras, everything. And then I have a look at it. So instead of just picking a moment and then syncing that and using that, I actually have done everything. So. It's just because that way I know that I have definitely the best parts out of it. Because if you just go and pick and choose things, then it's, and that's of course how the TV station would be editing it because mm. they would be editing, they have a time schedule, so it's just go up. So, so it is, but, but Rasa, yeah, it, it took shifting through the footage and, and getting it organized and it took quite a lot time and, and like like I said that I edited this long version that was almost three hours and Sophia edited it down and she edited it also really hard way because she was doing constantly kind of like effects so that the camera is kind of like stopping going backwards and, and there's all this kind of jerky movements and which is really really slow editing so I really I was quite awed to see what she had done that she really kind of like went the whole way doing it brilliantly so that the, even the long version, it just works, it just goes, but, but it is kind of people's attention span is so short nowadays that if you have a two hour film, most of oh, it's two hours, I've got to watch it. So. They're yeah. a perfect length, but I'll, I'll definitely watch the extended versions because I'm curious and I'm interested. But mm. you had another coincidence in Japan, I think it was, and you caught up with Miller Petroza from Creator. 
and oh yeah 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 you did his video what, what you what album and what song no was no that? it was Wade Vader was the yeah oh Vader sorry Peter creator. was it Peter yeah yes yes yeah. and 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 I, I know some Ulysses here from the Promised Land of Heavy Metal so so mm. that was quite funny but but yeah Vader was really strange because in 1992 Eric hired me to go to Poland to make a video for them and that was just after the the Soviet Union collapsed, so the Poland was very different than it's now, and uh, and it was again filmed with with 60 mil film camera, so it was quite complicated, and and it was I could have made a movie out of that. I would have had the kind of iPhones back then. Then it would have been a brilliant road movie, but because there were so many weird problems and things and, and 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 that was one of the rare cases when I thought that we are not going to get this film done and we are talking just about the music video mm. <laughs> and uh, but we did and and after that I haven't really been in contact with him so it was really surprising to meet him in Osaka or the, the place and that was 25 years from the previous meeting so so that was yeah, I like Peter a lot, actually. I've had a few conversations with him and he's always frank and upfront yeah. and very honest and always willing to have a, mm. a, good, a good conversation. And he's in a great band too. And I, I'd said to him that I really admired that they, uh, they'd they survived the fall of the Iron Curtain, so to speak. He downplays that sort of stuff because he, he doesn't really see mm. it as, you know, as the way we do in the West that, you know, they move from communism mm. and a socialist society into a capitalist or neo-capitalist society and all of the challenges that come with both. And they've survived both they're probably the only band I know. There might be others out mm. there, but certainly the most prominent band that's been able to do that. So big respect for them and uh, and for Peter. And it was great to see uh, them in your video. Was there any, in your documentary, sorry, was there any other coincidences like that that happened across both when you were filming? No, there's like like in, in, in Prasa, we met the band of Nutland, which funny enough has a Swedish name. But it's a Siberian band, and and uh, that was really nice because they they were playing in Omsk, and uh, uh, we have been keeping in contact, and uh, and they have been the singer has been in a Siberian song, but she's also working on on some of my new music that I've been doing. So so that was really great that we met them, and Thomas has also been working with them. So so that was like kind of like that type of nice. Thing. We really like their music and, and like them and and we stayed kind of in contact and, and now kind of been actually working on projects with them. So mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Would never have heard about them otherwise. So mm. but the, the way the thing that what what's kind of like I don't know how uh, Piotr has been kind of like talking about it, but when in 1992 because I had been I just moved here and I've left kind of like Finland behind and in Finland I've been doing TV commercials and, and was kind of like doing quite nicely. And when I went to, decided that now it's time to go to London, I didn't know anybody. So it was kind of one of those things that you leave everything behind and you start from zero. And uh, there was, at the time there was still kind of that type of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do this and I had this and that, you know, that type of 
looking back and thinking what you have left behind and mm-hmm. whatever. And, and, and it was really the way the thing was putting things in perspective because they were trying to get out of and we had this because they had like handmade guitars and, and they had Floyd Rose tremolos handmade and and I was kind of like say that that, that that that's quite interesting that you had the handmade tremolo and 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 well we don't we only have them because we cannot afford to buy the real Floyd Rose tremolo so if we buy a real Floyd Rose tremolo it costs a was it like a two or two month salary and. That's kind of same time when I'm kind of complaining that how life and I have guitars that I had one guitar that had Floyd Rose and the guitar was like I don't know probably three thousand pound guitar and at the same time I'm complaining it's a kind of you know like you realize that I'm a twat that that I should kind of shut up and be happy that if I want to move from Finland I just buy a ticket and fly to London and that's that. There isn't, but for them, it was kind of like you know to to go to London for gigs. They could afford to air ticket, but they couldn't afford to stay there. That mm. it's just the kind of like you know the difference between their income and and our income was so humongously a big gap that yeah. that that it's just kind of like. That they have actually managed to get over that. That's I think is something that they should be proud of, and people should know about it. That it's not like you know that if a Finnish band gets into touring in Europe and and it's great, but to come from that type of background and make it that's really brilliant. That's kind of hard work and complicated, and also because they were dealing with Earache Records, and I don't know how much you have heard about Earache Records, but. It's not the nicest record label in the planet. Let's put it that way. Yeah, look, I can assure you, there's plenty coming out right now, and I'm Al Dawson, you know, the Australian guy, you know, who looks after yeah. Earache in the US. You might have had to. Do, I know you probably dealt with Digby, but uh, I haven't dealt with them ever directly. But I send some stuff to him on Instagram, and I've spoken to a bunch of artists that have been on Earache. So Mike Browning from Nocturnus and Mortis. Um, yeah, Mortis is Mortis, or I can't remember his uh, his Norwegian name, but uh, they're not fans to say the least. And they went into some yes. pretty big detail with me about how difficult being on the label was. All of these stories are out there for mm-hmm. anybody to listen to on my podcast series, by the way. These aren't discussions that have been had and kept in private, by the way. But uh, and and I think Dan Seagrave, the artist who you might be aware of, mm-hmm. has recently come out and has been very vocal. And Al has addressed that on yeah. his instagram page about the licensing agreement that they may or according to dan did not enter into which didn't include things like jigsaw puzzles you've probably seen the album covers as jigsaw puzzles that are coming out recently Mm. and the like and yeah there's a a few things coming out at the moment about Mm. about old earache and uh and it sounds like you had a fairly similar experience to the two people that i just mentioned it actually kind of ended my work relationship with them with wader that that uh because uh, it was miracle that we got it done for the money, because it, I think two thousand pounds at that time, but that included traveling, laboratories, because that wasn't like like now it doesn't cost you to go and film, but back then you had to pay laboratories and editing and everything, and 
and I had to pull a lot of favors to be able to make the video. And uh, and then I think his name was Dick, but the, the, yeah. the kind of like the manager, he started to, oh, there should be more of the band in the picture. And I said that, that that's all we had because we had so many troubles, troubles and you had your guy Peter there from Earache who monitoring so surely he has told what type of problems we had and he no no but I only pay you half and uh, and I remember I was some railway station <laughs> in London and I'm very calm usually and I don't I always think that you have to kind of try and yeah and I said to him that that just fuck off and you will never see this film if you don't pay <laughs> and hang up and then he paid me but but it's just kind of like it was like you know after all the, the it's just so it was yeah <laughs> do you uh, funny moment do you know jordan peterson at all the canadian academic have you been following some uh, of his no. work so no. just to give you so the, the the very brief overview of jordan's work okay so one of the things that he was he's talked about in some detail, I saw, I saw him when he came here to, here to Brisbane and he's got his own podcast and, and the like. But one of the things that he talked about was success is, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'll probably miss out some important points, but this is the gist of it. Success is measured by ethics, meaning that is the great determiner on how successful you're mm. going to be in a corporation or in, in business. And I've, I've worked for a, a Australia's largest telecommunications company for quite some time. And certainly my experience in there was that people that were a little bit here and there with their ethics and prepared to lie and basically cheat mm. people, they got ahead. They got mm. ahead. This is, you know, there's no biblical tales of uh, righteousness and just do the right thing and put your no. head down and you'll get ahead. And all those things that my parents told me when I was a kid, you know, turn up early, be the first person, the last, per be the first person mm. there, be the last person to leave, you know, take five minutes less on your lunch break. I did all of that sort of stuff. And I got to be honest with you, it was bad advice. Because mm. they, they might not have real, it was bad advice, not by it wasn't their intentions were good, but the execution therefore is bad because people then take advantage of it and you end up doing work yeah. for other people. And then behind your back, yeah. they're saying that they've done all of this work when you might have done it all. Or in yeah. a business person's case, like Digby or, or even here on the Gold Coast with some, some of the people that do business around here that I've crossed swords with over the, over the years in my time as a, in, as a telecommunications account executive. I don't think they could lie straight in bed, some of these people, but mm. they go to sleep very easily at night. I yeah. couldn't do what they do. And from the sounds of things, you couldn't either. We just, yeah. it's not in us no. to do that. Yeah. I don't know what it is with these people that allows their moral compass to be, in my view, so skewed that they can say to you, you didn't do what I wanted. So therefore I'm going to pay you half. Mm. <laughs> yeah, why? no, no, it is. And, and, and there's so much of that, like, you know, like, yeah. well, of course in music business, like, Yes, it's 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 the same that that you have. I think I've been kind of lucky in a way that because I like with the when I've been doing TV commerce or whatever that I have my own style and it's not about like you know having a big company with glass windows, silver furniture or whatever. That it has been filtering that I I have had bad experiences but not as much as some of my friends have and mm. I think that I'd be lucky in a way that that to get to me to ask me to do something is already filtering the 
they really kind of like annoying people away that they go to some big company. <laughs> so, so in a way, but but yeah, it is. But I I think it. At the end of the day, I think how I kind of see these things is that that you have to you have to be kind of like true to yourself. You you have to do yeah. everything that you need to do, and even if somebody is asshole and if it's wrong and whatever, it doesn't matter. Because in the end of, end of the day, if you can look back and say that, well, I did everything right and and I didn't cut the corner, didn't kind of like, you know, compromise, then it's kind of like, you know, okay. But it is yeah. it is complicated because it, it, it's, it is, especially with the Finnish culture, there's also very kind of that type of that, that you have to do things right or God will punish you. And we are not really that religious, but we have this type of kind of like, if you are happy, something bad will happen. And I think a lot of Finns have to kind of work quite hard to get over. Of course, there's bad Finns who don't have this problem, but, but I think a lot of, lot of good Finns have this problem that they, it's kind of limiting you in a way, and it's quite stupid thing, but, but it is kind of like, that there is this kind of vengeful guard somewhere waiting to strike yeah. you. <laughs> and, and which is really, it doesn't, it's logically completely, if you look around, usually it is, like you said, the people who have very kind of like flexible uh, morals are the ones who are And quite often the people with the very kind of like Less kind of with less skills get further because somehow the 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 more people know, the more they are aware of what they do, and the more they care about what they do, and it kind of works against them. So in a way, the people who have less skilled they get further because they kind of just believe that they are brilliant, whereas they are not necessarily. And I think Americans have been making studies about this that that how they kind of like you know of knowledge and what you think about yourself goes kind of like opposite direction correct so if you have very yeah. little knowledge then you are kind of like thinking that you are like this so but oh, it's so true. Kind of, i think you have to be you have to be philosophical it's not perfect yeah. and we cannot fix it and 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 i think that also what i'm quite happy that i don't have i don't blame anybody if I if I have bad luck or things go wrong, it just happens. It and and it's my own fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not the world's fault. And I think that that's quite important to kind of if you keep on doing films or music, whatever, is that you realize that you just, it, it's what you make of it, and and it's not that there's somebody against or, or some kind of evil forces stopping you. That that's not real. It's everybody has to same obstacles it's just how you go through them i get a bit concerned about humanity's direction because we uh, we seem to uh, i wouldn't say we're on a path for the apocalypse if we but if we are we've done it to ourselves and i think it all starts with the thieves and the liars and the people that are trying to rip people off because there's just no no need for it I, i'm not saying that i'm you know angelic by any means but i can tell you mate i, I can't throw one of my daughter's lolly wrappers out the window when we're driving along in the car because I feel too guilty about it for days afterwards if it's even blown out. Uh, yeah. But other people just 
they don't seem to have an issue misrepresenting and slandering and just getting ahead by any means necessary. Uh, people in the legal profession particularly, yeah. I think, do that because we've seen too many examples of, of lawyers in well, in Australia, in the United States, no doubt in Finland, but definitely in the UK as well. It's it's If you've got a legal case pending and it's it's before a jury, well, you better have a bloody good lawyer because if the other side, even if you're completely innocent and you've definitely done nothing wrong, it's whoever argues the best case. And I understand mm. that's just the best of the mechanisms that we could sort of invent to determine someone's guilt or not, but it really a lot of factors hint, hint they hinge on whether or not the person that is defending you is just say you have done something wrong. Like just for example, there's a rapist out there or something and they've got a bloody good lawyer and they get off, you know, mm. I know there's nothing we can do about it, but we know that it does happen as well. And, yeah. you know, like you, you've, from the sounds of things, you've got a family and, and I definitely do. And um, you, you just, I say a prayer to Lord Krishna every night. I say that just there, but for the grace of God, whatever challenges my kids face, let them be challenges that they can rise to and not be broken by for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I know they're not asking for a, a expressly easy life for anybody in, in my family, but just nothing that's going to come. Just please don't let anything come along, which is going to break them because I, I know people that are broken because they, they yeah. some people just don't get put back together, whether it be a, a separation or a financial situation, or it's usually a separation like a divorce, certainly at my age mm. now, people around me, a few have gone through it and it's taken them years to recover, for example. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's, it's all part of the human experience in summary, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it is, of course, one of these things that is quite complicated is that, that some people, it's about also how you see the world, is that, that I think that, that I kind of, whatever happens to me, I kind of see it as a learning experience. And I, whereas, there's a lot of people that there's the first hiccup on the road and they, oh no, this doesn't work. Yeah. It will not work and they give up. So I think they are the people who will have the roughest ride in the, the world because you have to be just able to brush it off. Like, you know, that if you have set that setbacks and I, it's, I'm not talking about now, like somebody dying or something. I'm talking about like in, in, in the work and, and, and in your normal life that, that you just have to kind of try to rise above whatever it is and just continue and, and, and not give up. And, and it, because it is like, especially if we make music or film, it's full of setbacks and problems. Mm. And, and then occasionally you have good breaks and that's really great. But, but it is, yeah, I think that that's kind of like, you know, that, but I don't, it is quite like with all this Corona and everything that the, the world will be different now. It won't be, it won't go back to the same. So, Agreed. Yeah. and at, at least when it started here, it, it actually was quite surprising because you would be expecting like all kind of problems and, and youngsters going wild and whatever. But people actually, at least where we live, they were re everybody was really nice. And there was that type of kind of like, of course, Brits are always polite anyway, but there was that, that overly politeness that everybody was kind of like more caring in a bizarre way. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was actually quite like something that you think, wow, this is, this is brilliant. If this type of thing actually 
makes people think about things and makes them nicer. <laughs> That's very good, but I don't know if it's a long-term thing. I, I, it, it's to be seen, and I think for a lot of people, it's probably been quite like because they have had to value the whole world again. Yeah, like you know that that their work is not necessary forever, and what their plans are not forever. That they have to actually maybe realize more that that this moment is what you have, and you have to kind of embrace it and and because you don't know what happens tomorrow and i think that this is one of the things that if you are going to self-employed or in kind of film or whatever mm. that's how you live anyway because you know you don't know what's happening in a month's time or years time you hope that there's your plans are going ahead but there might not there might be a different plan and and it seems to be that that when i plan something for long term it never happens that way. There's suddenly something else coming and I go something somewhere else and yeah. which is fine for me. I, I find it like exciting because it's not I find it very hard to work in a job that would be the same job for the next twenty years. You know what I'm saying? That that I like the change and the challenge and but I know not a lot of people are like that, but 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 it is, yes, we are living in an interesting time. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and sentiments are shared insofar as I've seen something similar happen here uh, in southeast Queensland in Australia, where I think people are giving people a little bit more space. But I'm also seeing the boredom creep in now. So mm. at night, we, yeah. you know, you hear the, the kids doing the donuts in their cars, we call them. You know, they've. Yes. Yeah. You hear that every night at the moment. And when I drive the kids to school, because we live in a semi-rural area, but it's near enough to the big city area that they drive yeah. down. They drive down here around the cane fields just over here. And that's just, wow, wow. We just hear it yeah. again and again and again. And, and I was only a couple of weeks ago that, uh, and I was a journalist covering it for the Gold Coast Bulletin, that three kids died going, yeah. we, uh, a uh, alleged, better use that term, an alleged 150 kilometres an hour in a road where you do not go that fast. And they're in a yeah. Subaru, a Liberty, so all-wheel drive, which, as you're probably you're aware, like those things will stick, but there's, mm. they're very giving once you lose traction, you're out. They're not yeah. like all-wheel drive cars where you can sort of regain control. Yeah. Once you're out of control, that's it, and that's what happens. Yeah. So if any of these kids think that they're not going to end up wrapped around a telegraph pole, well, I saw the footage, I saw the video of these kids that were killed they were dying you know so it does it does happen you know but sorry just to round on the point again and not to get too morbid <laughs> um yeah yeah I, but I, yeah yeah i, I agree I, I just don't think i just think that it won't as things were in whenever this when did this thing kick off in early march this year the yeah mid-march yeah. Mid yeah. i don't think like, like what life was like beforehand i don't think we're going back to that because i know in australia no. our, our economy is contracted and there isn't the economic opportunity there anymore and people are putting their pennies away they're not being going out for yeah. entertainment and getting drunk every friday and saturday night and buying mm. that i don't think people are going to buy that new car every three years which people no. have this obsession with in australia which i'm so glad is going to stop because people get into unnecessary debt which then puts all this other yeah. pressure on themselves and to your exact point about being in a job that you don't like mm. for 20 years i can't tell you how many people i know that are in jobs they hate and they, they yeah. wish that they could do what you and I are doing, but they're not in a position where they can leave their job because of school fees, mm -hmm. mortgages, 
car payments yeah. and all of these other outgoings that are putting all of this pressure on them to stay in a job that they hate. And then, of course, what's the flow and effect from that? Depression. Depression mm. or divorce. Yeah. or And it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the quick fixes and it doesn't. And you and I, you spoke very eloquently there that you can plan for years in advance, but oftentimes it just won't work out. It's just not how the world works and the universe provides opportunities. You've got to be nimble enough to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. And yeah. uh, I think if more people were able to do that, they'd be happier. But they sort of bought into the what I call the big con, which is the consumer lifestyle. And, yeah. uh, and I think a lot of these young kids these days, these 15 to 24-year-olds or 18 to 24-year-olds, I suppose, you know, they're so against capitalism, but they don't understand that going towards socialism will result in, well, everywhere it's been implemented has resulted in just millions of people dying. So you can't go that far over there. It's just work on fixing this system here. And I think the best fix is just to get people to be less consumer focused, stop buying yeah. shit they don't need and can't afford and stop that, mm. that, that repetition and that cycle because living in countries like the UK or Finland or, or Australia or New Zealand, Canada, the United States, France or Germany, life really doesn't get any better globally than mm. in those countries. It's literally the best yeah. humanity offers in terms of opportunities. So make the yeah. most of it and don't, don't put yourself in a spot of bother. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think even if we kind of get over this, I don't know when, but I think that the, the ramifications of this will go on for a very long time. And, and, and I think that like here now the furlough, scheme is kind of they are wrapping that down and that will mean that there's a lot of people going to be unemployed after that and yes and of you. course the big, yeah. big corporations are using this as an excuse to streamline their system and 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 what you can hear notice is that the customer service has gone bad because now they can say oh it's because covid we don't have people here <laughs> and it's just kind of like so so you know that the big business is trying to figure out how to make more money out of this. So it is kind of like, yeah, complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. And of course, yeah. if you think about the music and, and all the kind of live events and things that, 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 of course, they have plans for next summer for the big festivals and things. But, but if we have a second wave coming, it's just kind of like, it might be that the the kind of like the big events are gone after this. It might be that we are kind of downsizing the events and 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 maybe won't see Metallica playing ever again. But <laughs> I wouldn't mind but, that to be honest with you. If they just retired and disappeared <laughs> and left, I, I, I yeah. nothing. I think Rob Trulio is a tremendous bass player. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but I can't stand Metallica and the rest of the guys in that band, especially after they did that ridiculous video back in 2003. That Did you watch that video, that Some Kind of Monster, I think, video? Is that what it was called? You know, that day in the life of Metallica thing they did where they were complaining about... Oh, no, I haven't seen No, I've heard about it. Everybody always bother. says that you should watch it. That's it's a disaster. Funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's hilarious for all of the wrong reasons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got Kirk Hammett walking around his ranch for God's sakes. I mean, these are guys that are in the top one percent of the top one percent of the population in terms of their income mm -hmm. and their capacity to earn money, and yet they're carrying on like a bunch of school oh, kids. I, the boy. What's that? Oh, you hear me? Oh, into my the second. Hello. Hello. 
Yes, you, it switched back into this. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. They turned back on again, yeah. did they? They charged. Yeah, I, I, I put them on the charts. So let's, <laughs> let's see how long they work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I, I look yeah, at... Yeah, no, it I, is. Yeah. I know that the guys of Metallica have a charity and this sort of stuff, but just about anybody of prominence has to have that, lest they be accused of being greedy and mean. So, but... Mm. I feel for poor Jason Newstead. God, I've talked a lot about this recently on the podcast series. I spoke to Steve DiGiorgio, who, you know, mm. Steve DiGiorgio from Death, Controlled and yes, all yeah. those great bands. Yeah. Tremend, tremendous fellow, by the way. And uh, yeah. he was encouraged by Zetro Souza. Was it Zetro? So Paul Baloff, sorry. Paul Baloff, from, in, the singer from Exodus at the time, to apply for the vacant Metallica bass playing role back in 1986. And uh, he's really yeah. glad he can go for it because he heard the stories that were coming out back then about the way they were treating bass players. And there's something toxic mm. in that band. And I, I to be honest, I, I love Master of Puppets, but back then, like, you know, back like within the 10 years after it first came out, 1991 yeah. or 1992 and, and those that day. And I haven't really listened to a lot since then at all, actually. I don't even think I've listened to it at all since then, but I moved on to heavier things, you know, and, Mm. and other bands but I, their success i don't understand their success at all mm. because they've got had I, effectively I, two good albums and the rest is pretty shit mm. to be honest well it, i think it is the black album that 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 is a very good album and and it's it's very commercial mm. so i think that their success is that that they've been so long time on the road and and they have fans who are 15 and fans who are 65. Yeah. So they have this humongous audience. And, and, and like the, I remember when the same Anger came out. Remember that album, which was, I think the, I, 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 I said before that I said, I'm never going to buy any Metallica because remember how they killed Napster. Napster was the, the first kind of like, you know, free music. Uh, like kind of like Spotify type of thing. Yeah, very long time ago. I, I used to Metallica use kind of. <laughs> I was probably yeah, in his Metallica dossier of people that were downloading them. it. <laughs> yeah, but Metallica went because it's illegal, and and they actually started from illegal tape exchange. Mm -hmm. They were kind of like supporting bands to kind of change tapes and and all that. So from that beginning to kind of go against it, I think. That was just for me. It was like, but then I had to buy the same anger because there was the there was the video DVD with it, which actually was, was from yeah. the rehearsal, and yeah. and that was actually much better than the album. Agreed. We're on the, the same wavelength about this. Kind of, yeah. yeah, because the album had the kind of what everybody's still making jokes about the snare drum, which was kind of boing boing boing. <laughs> And the rehearsal thing didn't have that, so it sounded much better. So, but yeah, no, it, it's yeah, I've, I've not been a big fan, but but I can add yeah. that they 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 appeal to so large audience that none of the other bands does. That Iron Maiden kind of probably comes close, and Judas Priest might be there, and 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 Megadeth is. I don't know if they are probably quite yeah, big. Also, couple of, yeah. I think, I think yeah. to your point, Metallica, I spoke to Steve about this Metallica, I think are the biggest band of all time. I just, you see it everywhere you go almost, I wouldn't mm. say every single time, but every week here in 
Brisbane and the Gold Coast, I'll see a Metallica T-shirt. That'll be the only band T-shirt I see. I might see an eight-year-old mm. kid wearing a Nirvana T-shirt, but they'll have no idea who the band are. They've just bought it from Kmart yeah. or Big W or what have you. Um, yeah. But definitely Metallica. And I think Iron Maiden, uh, like if Metallica are up here, Iron Maiden are down here sort of thing. They're just not, I think Rod Smallwood's done a great job for them, by the way. And Metallica and Iron Maiden, mm. I think, except for when they brought Blaze Bailey into the band, I think they did the wrong thing then, the wrong singer and mm. very bad time for them. They should have just gone on hi- hiatus or something like that because they're too, they're, mm. well, what the, the X Factor I thought was okay, but that virtual 11 is on par in terms of unlistenability as Sananga, as far as mm. I'm concerned. Plenty will disagree with me, but I said, I remember getting mm. it the day it came out, I'm that big a Maiden fan. Not anymore, I'm not. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sort of over it, to be honest with you. But back then, I was right into them. And uh, and I thought, what? I, I think I listened to it half of once. I think I skipped through the tracks and then that was it. Never listened to it again. It just couldn't be done. It wasn't. didn't have any redeeming qualities. But then there's Judas Priest beneath them, I think. And then you start talking about the Megadeths and stuff. But the point that I raise to people all the time, and I haven't... I, I, because I feel like I'm in it and I've got skin in the game here because I'm talking to so many new artists a lot of the time. When I say new artists, relatively new mm. artists like the Corpa Clanies of the world, it's so much mm. more exciting to discover new music. Okay, definitely mm, support yeah. the old bands. There's no, not saying don't do that, but don't just make them your one metal band that you listen to. And I think that's what Metallica are. They're the one metal band some people listen to. They don't branch out into anything else. And unless it sounds like Metallica, which mm. is what Creed did, they had that Mark Tremonti, he's a great guitarist, by the way, but you know, they had that, they almost had that Metallica crunch from the Black Album sort of sound, a bit differently done, but you know where I'm headed. It was in the same vein. Mm. They sort of tapped into that same audience. And I just try to evangelize heavy metal and extreme metal and say, my view ultimately is that for every person living, there's at least one extreme metal band that they can get into. And, and I'll put Corpa Klani mm. into the, you know, anything with that gruff vocal that Corpa Klani have got mm. through some of their songs. You know, I often mm. say that there's always going to be an extreme metal band out there for somebody. It's a bit like saying some people who say, I hate Indian food, for example, because it's too hot. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of Indian dishes out there that aren't hot. So give them a try. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A metal is quite like body is metal and, and it, this is kind of it's a promise kind of heavy metal with that trying to figure that out because metal for me is quite different than for not a lot of the younger people and uh, and and in a way it, it's become so generic word and but yet it is kind of like that that if you say that that here that that, that Corpiclan is a metal band folk metal band a lot of people are not going to listen to them mm. because the metal act is the curse word in Finland it's kind of like a means kind of like it's a great thing but but like here it still is not best selling thing so so in a way which is funny because like 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 you have like metal band, like, let's say Nightwist which is kind of like is it metal? Not necessary to me, but but it's seen as a metal band. But that could actually work against them because <laughs> they actually are much more kind of like wide audience music. So so it is. Yeah, it's the the whole labeling thing is very complicated. Yeah, the labeling thing. It's. 
I've uh, I see both sides of the coin on this one here. I understand that artists don't like being categorised, but it's an easy way to get your music out there to say that you're a symphonic mm. metal band and that's what Nightwish are and Morbid Angel are a death metal band and uh, Carcass are a grind band and all this sort of stuff because some fans, they... they uh, God, I wouldn't even... I even venture to suggest a majority of fans still think in, that, in those ways, you know, but then it does, you're right, it mm. does sort of limit their commercial reach, but it's just mm. the best of a, a bad system, I think. And I, I've, I've shared a lot, of, a lot of music that I've gotten over the years with people. I have it on around the house. I'm only listening to jazz and classical, to be honest with you. Um, it's not for any other reason that that's the music in my old age <laughs> at 42 mm. that I'm starting to get into. But privately on, on my, mm. these earpods here and in the car, um, I listen to just about all extreme and heavy metal and mainly for the purposes of conducting interviews so as I can do research and listen to it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm informed when yeah. I'm having conversations with people and I'm constantly hearing new and great stuff that I think really, really could get out there that, and it doesn't even have to have that commercial sound like we're talking about with Metallica or Creed or any, any of those bands. It's just music that I think could appeal to a broader audience. But for all I know, mm. a lot of this stuff that I get sent from ear split PR and, uh, even well, Tara doesn't send me any music. She gives me opportunities of people or Tadia. I think you see, you know, she shares. Like, I get a lot of stuff, but I'm thinking that a lot of this stuff's only going to get a couple of hundred downloads or you know a thousand listens on Spotify or something. And there was an excellent post by uh, a band the other day. I'll, try, I'll give them a shout out. Actually, I think it was Amber Down. They're a band in Perth, but they had a meme, you know, the memes and it was a photo or something like this kid mm. crying. And it was that the, the feeling you get when you've spent six months working on an album and only for someone to listen to half a song of the entire album on their iPhone before switching it off and never listening to it again, that sort of thing. And I think that's, mm. that is the issue that faces a lot of artists because the internet has democratized the record industry, meaning anybody can release anything these days but mm. who's going to listen to anything? It's very hard to sort of sift through it all. Yeah. And the record companies like Digby and Al at Earache, they're, they're not really the gatekeepers. Well, they're definitely not the gatekeepers anymore. Consumers will mm. listen to whatever they feel like listening to, which is why having a social media presence is so important. But then that brings mm. up how much energy and time do you want to spend in social media? Because that's a dark art in itself as well. So it sort of comes full yeah. circle <laughs> again, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Yes, it, because it, it's it's in a way it's always been that the marketing is important, but I think nowadays the the marketing is just taking over the whole thing that the actual product is <laughs> is not really. I mean, product like you know your album or whatever. That oh yeah, I know not what you're saying. Yeah, important that, yeah. anymore at all, and and that's kind of there should be. Well, you know, like how the all the big musical magazines work that uh, music magazines work that that to get like your band featured does mean that there has to be exchange of money that that there isn't any more that they would just pick up something oh this is a great band if they the great band doesn't have a backing it, they're never going to be found there isn't that type of that some yeah correct some yeah. big magazine would just like you know suddenly that you have to listen to this. This is great. That you might get that through other bands that you have some bigger name band listens to your stuff and they mention that, hey, this is a really cool band. And that is probably the biggest lift that the band can ever get is the 
endorsement from a bigger band that you can kind of like advertise, you can do all kinds of things, but it doesn't really necessarily even change anything. But mm. you have to have a hell of a lot of money to actually push something through the system so that it's forced into people. But And I don't know how that even works anymore. I think that that's kind of like that double creating. And I, I don't know if it works anymore. You've just got to have a very savvy internet presence and, and an even better engagement mm. on social media. I can tell mm. you, I, I, that's that's the only two facts that I know. How to do that? No idea, honestly. And, and no. I'm, I'm yeah. studied it at uni. I've, and I've it's actually, luck, yes. It, I've, it I've is gone luck that you have to be in the right, doing the right thing at the right time. Nobody knows why. And then so suddenly like goes like, Phew. and you're well, well, going to have this. a really great band. And, but think yeah. about this. In heavy metal, and I might be wrong here, correct me if you think I am, but outside of Ghost, there have been no new bands that have got to headliner status the last 15 years. So there was a bit, you said headline who? So Ghost, was are, the, up the, you're right. Ghost are the only headline band to emerge in the last 15 years. And when you say headline band, they're the only band that can finish a festival like an Iron Maiden or a Metallica could, if you know what I'm, yeah. what I'm saying when I say that. Heaps yeah. of bands have come out, but they're the only one that's graduated to headliner status. And there's something in that that tells us something. And if, if, if you think there's been another band, please tell me because I've thought long and hard about this and Ramstein mm -hmm. came out in the late nineties. So they don't count because they came out before the internet revolution, but post internet yeah, yeah. revolution, I'd even, I'd even say 20 years at this point in time, you know, bands like the killers and stuff, they're not metal. So they don't count. I know they headline Glastonbury and all that sort of stuff, but mm -hmm. that's very different to headlining, um, uh, Varkin and, uh, download. But yeah, who did we who did we have here in Australia? Corn. Like Corn yeah. headlined, I think the last download was it it wasn't cancelled, was it? I don't think so. No, the, well, I think Corn was mm. God, I'm just my memory. I'm just going by memory here. I certainly because I did a review of the 2018 one here mm. in Australia, and I think it was Corn and Good Charlotte. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, mm. holy shit. And and those the Rage Against the Machine, Prophets of Rage, too. All mm. of those bands have their roots. Good Charlotte, I think, is late 90s, but uh, Rage Against the Machine and Corner, early 90s. I think Rage Against the yeah. Machine might even be late 80s, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken on that point. Yeah, there, it, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, you it, see my point? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think there was, a, there was a talk about it that, that when they kind of like, you know, big names retire, you know, they all the kind of slayers, and I think it's... Is Slayer is retired now, isn't it? I, I think, think you're so. right, but God, it's 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 a little yeah. ambiguous. But yeah, I think that they've retired. Mm. I think there was some minor yeah. chatter uh, there for a period of time. They're just from some people that I know, from some people that I know, yeah. that the band might have kept on going in a studio capacity. But I think that's been knocked on the head. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not saying that that was a fact, by the way. Anybody out there yeah. listening, but I think um, I think uh, Kerry King is absolutely is adamant in continuing. It just won't be Slayer. It'll just be another band name with possibly everybody mm. except for um, Tom Araya in the band. Yeah. Well, but, but it is kind of like if, if they kind of like, you know, Metallica and all these bands stop, it might kill all the big festivals because there wouldn't be anybody to replace them to pull the same amount of people in, which might be interesting because you have a lot of big names, but they still don't have the same pulling power. So that was quite interesting. 
I don't remember where I read about it, but it was quite well justified that like how the European festivals are relying on few big names. I'd never thought about the, it that way, but there might be some truth to that. But to be honest with mm-hmm. you, and look, I'm I'm not in a band, obviously. I'm but a mere mortal. Um, I am in a band, but not one of those bands. Um, but um, I don't think that it'd necessarily be a bad thing in some ways. Uh, I'm not trying to do anybody out of a gig, that's for sure. But mm. I, I see, to me, I'd rather watch Corrosion of Conformity at a, at a venue mm. that holds 200 people. That's perfect for me. I love that. And then meeting, because mm. I get to go on in this, doing what I do here, I get to go and catch up with the guys, you know. Awesome. Mm. I've met all of these guys and you, you have too, you know, you've toured with all of these guys. Mm. And to a person, I can tell you, all of them have been fantastic. Guys in Metal mm, Church, yeah. Corrosion of Conformity, Rings of Saturn, mm. great, all great, fantastic guys and really easy to talk to and sometimes they've just got yeah, off yeah. stage. And it is kind of like, like uh, because we have Brighton, the next kind of bigger place oh, yeah. from yeah. us. And, and, and so you get quite a lot of bands there. And, and uh, uh, I met some time ago, like Meshuka, you know, the Swedish oh, yeah, yeah. band. And... and really lovely guys and, and, and had a really long chat and that's unfortunately one of those that that I lost the video <laughs> because some hard, hard I, it was on some hard I raised which is really annoying because it was really brilliant long discussion about about they're kind of like the next generation metal from me so but but they were already still like old school so it was quite interesting discussion about because they are metal band but but they admit that of course there's the young guys can outplay them oh my but sugar my is god that enough I doubt yes. it but that's okay. if they're saying that's so big well, yeah you have you have <laughs> kind of like young kids who are like Poo! just but it's just because mesuka is mesuka they created their sound and it's 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 the whole it's kind of like they're a bit in their own world well they invented a man. genre you know the whole gent thing comes yeah. from them real i mean again people will probably disagree or i don't see how they can but they invented that whole thing i remember when they were coming mm. through and when chaos fear first came out i know that's their third album or what have you but i remember when that came out and thinking the mm. game's changed these guys have changed it considerably mm. because there was the fear yeah. factory thing that was a bit bleh, to be honest but meshuggah mm. were like my god like and you could see other mm. and because i'm a musician I saw a lot of other musicians around me go, I want to drum like Thomas Harkey or, or what have you. You know, you could see yeah. that shift happen mm. very quickly. And of course it's, mm. you know, bands like Periphery and Animals and Leaders have sort of taken the torch mm. and have continued on and Tool are another big band as well. I understand I, I, there's some stuff out Every, This is all on public record if anybody wants to research it, but there's stuff out there about Maynard that's a bit unsavory. You can check that out for yourself. But I understand mm. the musicians and I understand Thomas is not, oh, sorry, Thomas. Maynard's not a bad guy either, but I know the other three guys in that band are tremendous guys as well. And they've basically invented Mm. their own genre as well, given how many bands copy them, you know, but but the guys Mm. in Tool just seem to do music as a hobby at this point in time. It doesn't seem seem to be the the main attraction for them, you know, Maynard with his vineyards and his cafes and sommelierie or whatever it's called, you know, where Mm. he serves people wine. Um, You know, it's, it just seems to be a hobby. And that's, that's always been my view on music is that, and, especially here in Australia, it's probably similar in Finland, I suppose, but you've got no hope of attaining a global audience in Australia. You just don't. We're too far away from everything mm. to do regular tours. 
And until people yeah. have, are glued on devices, then that might shift things for artists in Australia. But outside of last big band that we really had was in excess, I think, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> in excess yeah, of ACDC, yeah. you know, and it's probably, you yeah. know, Finland's famous for its killer heavy metal. It's great heavy metal there with Nightwish and Corpaclani mm. and Lord. And mm. Every country seems to have its own thing. How, I think, yeah, Nightwish is in the kind of like on their, they are probably the highest level of fame. And and I don't, the rest, I, I don't know how, I think they have to work hard to maintain where they are. Meaning that they don't have like you know excessive bank account somewhere or anything. So a trust fund I think there is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit kind of, but I think that that's also like like with all the kind of we have the time when we have supermodels and and then that was the period of time. Then we just have a lot of famous models, but they are not supermodels anymore. And so I think that it's the kind of eighties bands all this that we've been talking about that they, they lived a kind of like a time that is not going to be again but there Absolutely. is not going to yeah. be similar type of successes anymore there's bands that are successful but they're not going to make same ridiculous amount of money that they are they might be doing well but but it's not going to be that was a golden era of those type of bands and that's kind of gone mm-hmm. and now we are living and of course now it might be that we don't have big festivals ahead of us it might be that they are downsized into something more compact because what this virus is doing and yeah, how absolutely. it's changing everything yeah it is quite interesting yeah mm. All right, I better wrap things up, mate. Um, but look, I can okay, see yeah. I've truly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being prepared to yeah, go no, there. Yeah, it's very I'm, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, look, if you're comfortable with everything we've spoken about, I certainly am. Um, I'll just yeah. I'll, I'll put a bit of an edit together and I'll, I'll just release it as both a podcast. And I, are you happy for me to put yeah. it on YouTube as well? I don't mind. I don't think I have said anything that I would regret. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yeah. No. Hey, look, no, it, it, no. Let, let me tell you this. The times that I know for a fact I've said absolutely nothing that should offend anybody, they're the moments people get in touch with you and go, you said this. <laughs> but the other moments <laughs> where, we're, where we're talking about, it with our, and I've done it a lot, believe me, where I've talked about American politics mm. and identity politics and Trump and all the mm. rest of it, not a word. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it is right, yeah. Yeah. Not a word. So, I'll um, yeah. what I'll do is too. I'll I'll put uh, the video is out. So I'll find. I know Tari has already sent through everything. So I'll just put everything in links on the front, like you know the yeah. intro, so people can just enjoy the conversation and they can have the promotional side of things up front. And uh, I'll try and get it out this week, but it probably more likely will be next week if that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, if you are Facebook or something, we we could kind of exchange friend things or. Yeah, I'll look you up. Yeah, when I get off here, I'll I'll find you. Yeah, you're not hidden or anything. What we didn't talk about was that that I have a new album coming out and a new film coming out. (laughs) So there might be more to talk about. When's that coming out? Well, I'm working on it. And and it's because I don't know how much you know about me, but I had a band called Sarcophagus, which was the first Scandinavian metal band. And we basically did kind of metal in the 
1980, the music that you could say that is metal. So we were a bit, uh, it was dark. Yeah. And I should have that. done more so, research, but I'll, I'll explain why I did. Yeah, no, 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 no. What happens we, is we can talk I, another time. I'll yeah. tell you what, just, I'll share this with you quickly. I've, I've done, you know, I've done plenty of interviews and, and, what I tend to do is I go so broad, we end up not talking about the thing that we've initiated the conversation yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so <laughs> if I found that out about yeah. you, believe me, we would be here for five hours or something like that. Because to me, yeah. Scandinavia is the epicenter of the best heavy metal ever created. Yeah. And, and well, you can check out the promised, promised heavy metal, the film. And, and, uh, and check that out on Sarcophagus. It's spelled with, uh, with the F instead of BH. Okay. So, so that's and and basically, what I'm doing now is different. So the sarcophagus will be dead. It will be buried. It has been going since '78. So, I'm doing slightly different type of, yeah. So, Jeez. different type of music. '78. So you predate. But it's still metal, but it's different. Yeah, but right? even even the name though suggests it's a metal band and. You know, Possessed came out mm. in 83, sorry, or something like that. So you're a full five years before Possessed. So was it, was it like an extreme, you know, was it elements of extreme metal in it or was it? Uh, the, the, the first album was quite like mixture of blues and rock and progressive and, and kind of hard rock and whatever. But then the second album was already kind of like, like the music structure was metal. And the, the third album is, is, is kind of like because it was quite unique because I decided that I cannot make a brilliant album if I use session musicians to replace some of the band members. So it's actually kind of like a very early strange metal album because it actually has professional musicians playing with me. And there's three singers in it, one lady and two guys. And, uh, and that album is because I kind of mastered it again, and and it actually sounds still very heavy. It's it's very, and there's a, the riffs and things are very kind of, because like like at the time like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, to me they sounded happy, so I think my music didn't sound happy. <laughs> I think it was more kind of like in the metal. What I'm saying that before it was heavy rock. I think that the transition. Is there, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, so I had a chat so, to Michael Schenker the other night, you know, and, and we we're talking mm -hmm. about oh, I had a really long chat to him before, but I was part of the listening party for his, his new album. And he's a bloke who I think changed the course of heavy metal, but he doesn't, he, he mm -hmm. I think he sort of sees it that way a little bit. But you are somebody as well from the sounds of things, and I'm, mm -hmm. I, I'm I feel stupid to be honest with you for not knowing that about you, uh, because I, I do do but so like much. Said, we can talk again about the. If you look at the promised land of heavy metal, and then we can talk about the next film that we are working on and, and the music. So yeah, let's keep so this dialogue going. Like, I, I enjoy talking to you, mate. I think you've got you, you raise a lot yeah, of yeah, no, this and, is, yeah, nice, yes. You know, I mean, because what what I'd like to do is is create. I mean, social media. It's got to be done if we want to get anywhere. Mm. You just have to do it. But it is about creating community and. Uh, I tend to find uh, the people that like interact with me. Um, a lot of them are South American. Mm. And like from Brazil, and uh, there's a, there, and, and one fellow in particular is in, in the UK there, but he's Brazilian, and they're the ones that are, and they're great fans. And so I'm really sort of 
trying to maybe leverage. I mean, I can't speak Spanish. That's a problem. But I know there's all these markets out mm. there. I'm just trying to sort of think outside the square is my point and build a community yeah, that yeah. way. And I think with people like yourself, because mm. this is a genuinely interesting conversation for people to listen to. Mm. This is yeah. something which they can put on in the background. And I can see how long people listen to things for on my on Wooshka, which is the which hosted my podcast. And where they're not not precisely where they are, but what city they're in, and how long they've listened for, and yeah. a lot of my stuff, well over half of my stuff, which is a good average, by the way, people listen to the whole thing, not just five minutes mm. and then skip to the next episode and yeah, five yeah, minutes, yeah. etc. You know, so you're a good guy to have have as a contact for continuing to have a conversation with for both yeah. for both of us. I think so. I'd appreciate it, man. Like anything, anytime you got anything new or what have you, let me know because I, I love talking yeah. to you. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it is kind of. I'm still at the end of the Corpiklani documentary because there's the promotion and all, but it's all kind of winding down. So then it's kind of picking up this. Nice, <laughs> and, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I got I got mine at the back there. We see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, my music man bases. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So I play in covers bands. It's the only way you can have a gig in Australia is by playing covers. Mm. If you play originals, nobody gives a shit, you know. You're playing to like your friends it's and family. A, it, it's the same here. That, that it, it is kind of the unfortunate. Because Britain is really bad with it. There's not a lot of venues. It's, it's the pubs. So... Yeah, it's the same here. Well, Australia and yeah. we don't like to admit it, but Australia and England are virtually the same. As you, as you, you know, mm. we, we come from them, and uh, in terms of our society and our culture is built on the English influence. And so, yeah, it's all pubs and pubs for us as well, or or leagues clubs or RSL clubs. Uh, thank God for them, to be honest with you, uh, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have places to play. Even though I don't like going yeah, into um, them volunteer, I won't go into them voluntarily because there's you know the pokey machines. They're all the way through mm. them, and it's a bit depressing to be honest with you, because you see the same people yeah. that you were in there six months late. You know, you've been you went there six months earlier, and then you go back six months later, and the same people are in there, and they're just drinking and pissing yeah, yeah, their money yeah. away. And I, I, yeah. I hope for more than that for people, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't mm. lead your life, do whatever you got to do to get through to the end of each day, yeah. provided you're not hurting anybody. But you know, I just hope yeah. for more than that for people. Uh, but uh, mm. but mate, look, uh, I'll wrap things up. Thanks so much. I'll put it out. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to and for watching the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject you just heard from, Kimo Kusnimi. Thanks so much for tuning in.